0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: A very warm welcome to this Thursday edition of Box. Let's give you some headlines. So, a bill that threatens to eject certain Chinese companies from U.S. stock markets heads to President Trump's desk for signing. This after the House of Representatives unanimously supported the law. TUI shares sink in late trade after the German travel firm receives its third state bailout as losses mount and the balance sheet takes strain.
2: The FTSE closes sharply higher as the combined effect of the vaccine approval and lifting lockdown supports sentiment, with Prime Minister Boris Johnson welcoming the news.
0: This is uh, unquestionably good news. It's very, very good news, but it is by no means the end of the story. It is not the end of our national uh, struggle against uh, against coronavirus. And-
3: a US federal election commissioner tells CNBC, Facebook and Twitter could have done more to combat misinformation during the election, but says she does not want to repeal Section 230.
4: I think that a lot of people are looking at whether 230 perhaps needs to be reformed. I think repeal would be uh, a mistake. That would be a step too far.
1: All right, happy days, everybody. Let's get some big stories. This is interesting, this next story. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to tell you why I think it's interesting, and I'll get the expert view from Sam as well. The US House of Representatives has passed a law that will force Chinese companies to delist from US exchanges if they do not fully comply with American accounting rules. The president is now expected to sign the bill into law in what could be one of the administration's final acts in the US-China trade dispute. Now, Uh, I mentioned that, and I mentioned it will go to the president's desk for signing, but it's getting backing from the SEC chairman. It's getting backing from the American Securities Association. Of course, what is very interesting in in a Congress that really can't agree on anything, it has bipartisan support. But we're not hearing about Trump leading the way on this one, are we? And that's what I think is very interesting for the next four years, because this is about there's no change in attitude from a lot of American institutions towards Chinese institutions, Chinese corporates, uh, and their supposed links with the Chinese Communist Party as well. Very interestingly, though, JD.com and Alibaba are not responding negatively to this story as well. So let's get Sam's view on this one as well. So Sam, a couple of interesting points. One, I think that this very interesting that it's coming from uh, across the establishment in the United States. It's not President Trump necessarily leading the way on this one. And the other thing is it's got a very slow burn, this story. I understand they have got three years to comply.
2: Yep, you're exactly right, Steve. Good morning to you. What this is all about, and this really, as you pointed out, does have bipartisan support, is to try to get Chinese companies to play by the US rule books when it comes to these auditing standards. So what this bill essentially aims to do is uh, to actually get uh, companies listed in the US at three years to try to comply with these auditing rules or be kicked off these exchanges. Now, while this applies to all countries, it could take a hit to the likes of companies like Alibaba and Door, although uh, some of these companies don't seem to be too affected by this today. But uh, the bill also requires companies to actually disclose whether they're owned or controlled by a foreign government. And uh, this really does appear to be weighing uh, on the Chinese mainland markets today, although some analysts have reportedly uh, said that investors shouldn't be too spooked by this because uh, this is being seen as an appropriate policy response. Of course, this bill was passed by the Senate back in May. And actually, the the Republican Senator John Kennedy, who was one of the sponsors of this bill, has said that China has been using the US stock exchanges to exploit American workers and families. At the same time, US policy is letting China flout the rules uh, that American companies play by. And he says that this bill is aimed at protecting American investors and their savings. Now, China responded to this bill yesterday uh, before it was passed in the House of Reps, but it was likely to do so. And now they said uh, that this demonstrates the discriminatory policies towards Chinese companies, adding that it launches political oppression against them. And it said it hopes the US can uh, provide a fair environment instead of trying to put up barriers. But what is important to point out is that Congress uh, does have this regulatory body that inspects the audits of these listed companies, because, of course, this is seen as important to investors. But Chinese authorities have apparently been reluctant to let foreign auditors take a look at their books over concerns about national security. Uh, And so the big question question that has certainly been raised uh, in the past uh, is just how much does China value the access to these U.S. markets and how much is it willing to comply? And uh, as you sort of suggested, this has been a very slow burning story. So it'll be interested to see how this law will actually be uh, implemented and when it will, because, of course, we also do uh, at the same time have the SEC reportedly uh, putting forward a proposal which aims to address the different treatment that Chinese companies uh, actually get when they are uh, listed in In the US, and of course, we have seen this resurgence of Chinese companies actually heading home to list in the face of some of this US pressure, and this could potentially accelerate that trend that we are now seeing. Guys? Sam, you just said
1: something really interesting to me, uh, to us, to the audience, to the world, to Karen. You said the Chinese authorities are loath to let foreign auditors take a look at the book because, and I'll quote you there, because of concerns about national security. Now, you either made a slip there, which I don't think you did, or you hit your nail on something I think very important. The Americans are saying these companies are inextricably linked with the authorities in the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese are saying that these are independent companies who are not connected uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese can't have it both ways on this. They either are and there's a threat to national security or they're not, in which case the auditors should be able to look at them.
2: Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there, Stephen. this is why this is quite confusing. But for years, you know, the U.S. has been trying to get China to comply uh, with its auditing standards. Of course, earlier this year, the the Trump administration uh, came up with a number of measures aimed at trying to uh, protect uh, American investors from what they see as China's uh, failure to comply uh, with these auditing rules over uh, in the U.S. with these Chinese companies listed over there. But uh, now, you know, we are now seeing this latest proposal uh, that will actually get these U.S. exchanges to uh, require uh, this compliance by Chinese companies. But as I said, it will be very interesting to see uh, you know, whether they will actually do that because uh, the Chinese authorities do say that uh, they are reluctant to do this because they don't want uh, foreign auditors to be looking at the books of their companies in China.
1: Thank you, Sam. I think that's fascinating. I know Karen thinks it's fascinating. And I have another man who knows all about China. He's spent a lot of time in Hong Kong and he's spent a lot of time in China. Jeff, do you want to come in on this as well? Because as much as I try to sit on the fence on this one, the Chinese can't have it both ways. They either are independent companies or they're not independent companies, in which case, why not let the auditors look at the books?
0: I I think this is uh, the realm of verbal gymnastics. I mean, look, um, if you've got a single party government effectively operating a command and control economy. Inevitably, you could argue that every entity in that economy is effectively working in the interests of the government – And you could uh, tie that um, interest back to the defence of China. So at its very broadest, Steve, I think you can interpret every business in China, whether listed in the US or not or listed anywhere else, is effectively operating in the interests and at the behests of the Communist Party. At its most narrow definition, you could argue that of the 217 listed companies on all the U.S. exchanges, many of those businesses are independent and privately run and they operate side by side with the state-owned enterprise structure. Now, if we're talking about the state-owned enterprises, there are 13 state-owned enterprises that have listings on US exchanges. And one could perhaps most legitimately argue that those are the ones most most tightly tied to the government and effectively perhaps some read through to the, um, uh, the the People's Liberation Army. But the reality is here, and you know better than I do, that capital and money will ultimately find its way to the most profitable ventures. And we had the gold rush days back in the 90s for these listings, and there were lots of companies that weren't what they said they were when they went through the listing process. Um, now, I think the listing requirements for the exchanges have largely tightened up, but arguably they ought to be the first line of defense here, not the auditing of the companies themselves. So I'll just make that point that given the size of the Chinese economy now and its significance in so many sectors of the global economy, does the states go all the way down the road on this story and continue to keep them off if it Off its exchanges. And if it does, that how will that capital anyway find its way into those productive enterprises, Karen?
3: Jeff, you, you raised some great points uh, about this being verbal gymnastics, because I, I, I tend to agree with you. But we have come a long way from the, the days where the Chinese companies were accused of having two sets of books, so one for the public and one privately. And if you think about what may have been contained in some of those private books, maybe it was down to where some of the funding came from. Maybe it was private for other reasons. So there has been certainly a learning experience for many of those Chinese names. But as you point out, capital can find a home. If you think about uh, the way a lot of vehicles are, are used across various markets, what's wrong with a, a sovereign wealth fund investing in in a Chinese company. Why couldn't uh, China's own sovereign wealth fund invest in some of the names if the government thought that these particular names were in the interest of the country and needed support? Why couldn't it create other investment vehicles, private equity companies that could also invest in names if it thought that funding was quite crucial for those names? So I think while it might be a big win for some of the accountants globally by being brought in to take a look at the Chinese books and make them compliant, that's about the only win. It's not really going to change the narrative very much, is it?
0: No. And it raises another um, serious question, I think, about the state of public V's private markets, because ultimately, if you don't let productive enterprises come to public markets, that's a whole investor class that doesn't get access to that potential growth opportunity. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't take a position either side on the uh, law as it's being implemented. Anyway, while we're on the subject of China, let's just talk a little bit about this uh, services PMI data. Um, it's a strong reading. Total new businesses hit the highest level in a decade. The Chai- Chaichin services PMI for November coming in at 57.8 for the services sector. That is above forecasts. The survey reporting sector confidence at its highest level in more than nine years, guys.
3: Let's take a look at some of the market action at Asia as it moves through the trading session. It's a little bit mixed, as you can see, flat for the Japanese stock market. We have gains for Hong Kong, six-tenths of a percent higher, a slight weakening of the trade for the Chinese stock market for Shanghai, given all the issues we're talking about today. A little bit of caution there today, and Australia is up about a third of a percent. That's quite telling because a lot of investors, fund managers, have been somewhat positive on the prospects of China. This whole narrative that they were first into the crisis around the pandemic, and a lot of the data now supports the fact that they're first out of it in terms of recovery and that's been a catalyst for money to move back into these markets uh, also uh, investors eyeing some of the political wins that are, are in existence around china at this point and it's, it's really been a very positive narrative in recent weeks so just a little bit of caution uh, hitting the markets there today let's uh, just uh, move on to the us and uh, what we saw yesterday a huge narrative around vaccines uh, starting out here in europe The first Western country approving a COVID-19 vaccine being the UK. Now, the US also closely following those fortunes. And you will see the US FDA hold its advisory committee meeting next week. So the vaccine is also moving swiftly along stateside. That's been positive for the markets. But as you can see, there are also some concerns out there about the backdrop one of the fears is how we get from here to there in terms of the vaccine, and will there be more economic pain in the meantime? The data yesterday was disappointing on the jobs front. Fewer jobs added to the private sector than expected, and the market, as a result, was torn between some of the positive and negative flows across the trading session. A lot of oscillations taking place, eventually closing out in the green and flat on the Nasdaq. In terms of some of the yield curve developments we've seen, the split is worth noting between the short and the longer end, as you see a slight like widening out. 0.16 on the two year, and we've climbed to 0.94 on the US 10 year. So, approaching that 1% mark on the 10 year US Treasury yield. Uh, let's take a quick look at US futures as we gear up for the trading session. Uh, the NASDAQ uh, flashing green at this early stage, but we are watching uh, some slightly weaker signals uh, crossing at the south for the Dow, called uh, down by a modest 33 points. Jeff.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the stimulus. Uh, Is there now a way through the woods... For this stimulus plan, top Democrats have now backed a bipartisan coronavirus relief bill as they look to break months of stalemate over the new stimulus. Uh, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate majority, sorry, minority leader Chuck Schumer say the $900 billion proposal should be used as the basis for bipartisan aid, adding that the new, new act is quote, immediate, or rather the need to act is immediate. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has already rejected the plan the adp employment report showed us private payrolls increased less than expected last month as a surge in cases led to fresh restrictions companies hired 307000 workers in november that was well below the 475000 estimated by dow jones october's reading was revised down to 404 we're well, speaking before the Senate Banking Committee. Fed Chair Jerome Powell has warned that the outlook for the economy is "quote extraordinarily uncertain," pointing to the economic dangers of a surge in virus cases and the high unemployment rate. Despite the rapid progress in getting people back to work, which is so welcome, there's still 10 million people who are out of work yes. because of the pandemic and. Uh, you know, that's that's more than lost their jobs in all of the global financial crisis 10 years ago, which at the time was the biggest, you know, uh, uh, recession that we'd had in a long, long time.
3: Coming up on the show, a U.S. federal election commissioner tells CNBC protections for internet companies need revising. We're going to hear from Ellen Weintraub next. And for more on the legislation that threatens to remove Chinese companies from New York listings, check out the Squawk Box podcast.
1: Welcome back. The U.S. President, that's the current one, not the next one. Mr. Trump has not ruled out fire Oh, here we go. Who's he firing now? Uh, firing Attorney General William Barr, according to NBC News. But a sudden departure is not expected to be imminent. The US leader is reported to have been unhappy that Barr admitted that he has not seen any evidence of widespread voter fraud in the November election. Now, speaking from the White House, uh, quite an elongated speech as well, uh, Mr. Trump again repeated his claims of mass voter fraud. The point here is without providing any evidence.
0: The constitutional process must be allowed to continue. We are going to defend the honesty of the vote by ensuring that every legal ballot is counted and that no illegal ballot is counted. This is not just about honoring the votes of 74 million Americans who voted for me. It's about ensuring that Americans can have faith in this election and in all future elections.
3: A top tech advisor to President-elect Joe Biden has warned that it's, quote, long past time to hold internet companies accountable for content shared on their websites. Bruce Reed, Reed, rather, who is uh, Biden's chief of staff when he was vice president, made the comments as he launched a book he co-authored on technology and its impact on democracy. Biden has previously hit out at Facebook and described CEO Mark Zuckerberg as a real problem. U.S. Federal Election Commissioner Ellen Weintraub has told CNBC she's not in favor of repealing Section 230. There's been growing clamor across the political spectrum in the United States to remove the shield that gives Internet companies immunity from content posted on their sites. I asked the commissioner if she approved the measures Facebook and Twitter had taken during
4: the election. I appreciate that they did try and uh, work with the government to try to look out for uh, foreign interference. That was that was a good thing. And uh, unfortunately, we also saw a fair amount of misinformation coming from inside the country. And I think that they had a more checkered response to that. Uh, they were reluctant to try and uh, interfere with People trying to speak to the American people, obviously, because we have strong free speech protections. But I think they really could have done a better job and a quicker job at responding to misinformation, because there still was an awful lot of misinformation that was uh, that was spread around the uh, um, over the internet. Uh, they did some adjusting of their algorithms, apparently, particularly. Um, uh, uh, Twitter did a uh, more aggressive job, I think, of trying to put tags on misinformation. Facebook uh, came around to that a little bit later. Uh, They adjusted their algorithms to try and promote more reputable sources. But um, they seem to be backtracking on that now, and I don't know why they would do that. They They should always be promoting reputable sources. The American people need reliable information. We don't need to go down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories
3: commissioner then of 2020 was a, an exercise in industry uh, oversight where they self-regulated themselves, then does that mean the next step is to have full regulation for the way these technology companies do interact with uh, consumers, users, subscribers during the election next time?
4: I do think there are a lot of people who are looking at a lot of different options for regulating uh, the platforms. Um, the the president in the last twenty four hours has come out saying that he wants to uh, re- repeal Section two hundred and thirty of the Federal Communications Act, which is the uh, shield against liability for uh, for the internet companies. I think that is. Uh, I I think that a lot of people are looking at whether two hundred and thirty perhaps needs to be reformed. I think repeal would be uh, a mistake. That that would be a step too far.
3: And that's the big debate, reform or repeal. And if you think about the way the Republicans and Democrats feel, they're both motivated. They have different reasons why they want this uh, Section 230 looked at. And if you look at the Democrats' side, they effectively want these companies on the hook for the content that they post. A little bit similar to what media companies, mainstream media companies, are on the hook for. But if you look at the Republican side, they're concerned about the censorship that's taken place for right-wing views. So they have a different motivation, but both sides are motivated. So the question is uh, just how strong the changes will be from here. I think it's quite ironic if you think about President Trump's uh, recent comments. I mean, he's used the platforms. He used Twitter, Facebook over the years to drive support for his messages, and it was only at the end where he flipped uh, against some of the the platforms as they started to censor him and take down posts and label them for uh, some of the the information that he was uh, communicating, questionable content.
1: So questionable content, in my eyes, are a different Uh, from different people and different parts of the political spectrum. I I consider myself pretty much a centrist, so anything that's too far left wing, that's a bit, "Mm, I don't know whether that should be accepted or too far right wing, I would be concerned as well. So my views are different from someone else's. So we must understand that there is a broad political spectrum out there which various parts of that Believe to be acceptable. So I, I think this is a really tough debate, and we talk about monitors, and we talk about IA, AA, AI, and whether we've got individuals. That's all well and good talking about this, well, but but one thing speaks louder than anything else than this great debate between the politicians uh, and, and the owners of these companies, and that is money. And money speaks far louder. And that is when this summer, when we saw. Dozens, if not hundreds of advertisers pulling uh, their advertising from some of these social media platforms. That was when the aforementioned, the ones you can see on your screen there, that's when they start taking this seriously as well. And that's when they will get really clever about the monitoring as well. If the advertisers put it because they don't want their adverts next to something that's questionable, that speaks far greater volumes in my mind.
3: What we heard in terms of the lessons along the way is that, you know, there's a huge amount of content. and This is much deeper than what traditional media companies have to contend with. And there is a concern that if they are on the hook, then there's going to be a series of fines because these companies just cannot deal with the amount of content. That said, uh, Jeff, during the election, we did see enormous amount of content taken down by the platforms that they thought did not pass the standards that they'd set.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the challenge here with the reform plan, isn't it, Karen? I mean, um I think uh, just to take uh, President Trump, I think, Basically, President Trump wants to bury uh, this uh, whole issue and ultimately force the platforms to be responsible. The reform that the Justice Department is talking about almost seems worse in a sense that um, it uh, it has the internet companies perpetually chasing immunity, as as one Brookings report has described it. Um, And then we end up with just this ongoing um, morass of potential litigation and claim and counterclaim. And I think that's, that's sort of where we've come in, isn't it? Because what we've got now is the, um, platforms themselves being increasingly put in, in a position where they're having to make a decision based on their own analysis which of course uh, in the heat of something like an election campaign um, just doesn't work because one side or the other is going to claim foul and I think that's that's really the problem here so you either completely um, uh, remove it or you find uh, another route through the woods because this r- reform as it's currently laid out just doesn't seem to work. Thank you for listening to Squawk
1: Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.